we're reminded almost daily that uh, what the writer of Ecclesiastes said, there's nothing new under heaven. Um, the things that have happened in the past continue to happen today. The problems we face today are problems that people faced in the past. And um, it reminds me, it makes me even appreciate even more the usefulness, the relevance of this book. Uh, it is as relevant today as it ever has been and will always be. It contains the answers to the questions that we have in life and provides us a, a path to righteousness where we can eventually uh, go back and be with God. It was last year, I believe, um, I meant to look at the date and, and I, I forgot to do so, but there was a, maybe you you saw it on the news or on um, Facebook or the internet or whatever. There was a, a, a woman, she was 68 years old, her name was Karen Klein, and she was a bus monitor. And uh, one of the boys on the bus, middle school age boys on the bus, got out his camera and recorded as they harassed her for probably 10 or 15 minutes. Um, they sat there and they called her names. They told her how ugly she was. Uh, four guys in particular were doing this. Uh, it was just out of control uh, the kind of an assault on this woman that you just, it makes you sick to listen to and to watch. Um, they told her how fat she was, and they made fun of the way she breathed and, and how her body moved. And they, they told her, uh, you know, that it's no wonder that her kids don't live near her. Who would want to come and spend time with you? And just all, as many hurtful things as you can imagine, they, they cursed at her continuously during this dialogue. She at one point began to cry and to tear up, and she was wiping the tears out of her eyes. And they began to berate her for crying and laughed at her for shedding tears. And um, the point of it is, you don't have to be a child. A bully isn't a teenage boy. Anybody can be a bully. And this Lady, this 68-year-old lady experienced bullying uh, by some young boys. Um, her story went viral. People saw what these young men had done to her. Um, she, uh, somebody took the initiative to say, well, I just want to raise $5,000 to send her on a vacation. And um, people from 84 countries reached out and gave to the tune of $700,000. And uh, this lady then retired from her job, started a foundation uh, to help young people deal with bullying. Back last year also, there was a school, a high school, that had a homecoming king and queen. And they had uh, elected a young man and a young lady to be king and queen of the homecoming. Word got out that it was all prank the popular kids in school had set it up and had wielded their influence on everybody else in school to vote for these two very unlikely candidates. When the young man learned that he had been voted in by this kind of a fraud, this kind of a thing, they were just making fun of him, uh, he withdrew and had nothing to do with it. The girl said, I'm going to do it. 
and she was emboldened by the community. The community rallied around her and uh, supported her, and and, uh, they developed a page, a Facebook page, where people constantly uh, were telling her of her worth and her value while others were, you know, doing something to diminish it. Over and over again, we hear of stories where a person does some terrible thing to another person because of bullying, or they do a terrible thing to themselves because of bullying. I want you to turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 1, and uh, we'll look at uh, this first chapter. As I said, there's nothing new under the heaven. The things that happen today happen in the past. And I think there are things that we can do to, to help us deal with criticism, help us deal with things that assault our value, our worth, our character in the eyes of God. And here's a biblical example of what we're talking about. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're reading about a man, and I'm not going to try to pronounce all the things I'll stumble over, but Elkanah. You probably remember Elkanah. He was the, the husband of Hannah, who was the mother of Samuel, uh, the prophet. And, and we know the story and how she wanted a child and prayed for a child. And uh, the priest saw her lips moving but couldn't hear really what she was saying, thought she was drunk. And rebuked her for it. And she said, no, I just, I want a child. I'm praying to God. And he said, well, the Lord will give you a child. And though she had been barren, the Lord uh, kept that promise. And she had a child. His name was Samuel. And she dedicated Samuel to the Lord. But that's the story. That's what we usually talk about. We talk about Hannah and Samuel and Eli, the one to whom she gave her son. But there's another player here. Often we've just overlooked it. But I don't want want you to miss this other player. In verse 1, we're introduced to Elkanah, and he was the husband of Hannah. And listen, verse 2, he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of uh, hosts in Shiloh. Also, two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to her sons, to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion. For he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival. You see that? Don't miss that. Hannah had a rival. Who was this rival? It was Penina. Listen to what it says. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore, she wept and did not eat. That gives us a little background to what we then find Hannah doing, praying to God for a son. 
And Eli coming and hearing this prayer, thinking that she was drunk, just hearing bits and pieces of her mumbling to herself. Hannah had a rival. I don't, what do you call I, I don't know what her co-wife. I don't know how you say that. It was uh, the other woman in her husband's life. And she had children. She had sons and daughters. And this woman, maybe because he loved her more, and it showed, I mean, he gave her a double portion, whereas he only gave Penina a, a single portion. Maybe it was that favoritism that took place in that family that drove her to, I don't know what she said, but I can just hear the digs, can you not? She wants a child, and having a child, having a male child, is of such importance in this society. I mean, to, to carry on the lineage and, and all the, the, that was wrapped up in the genealogies, this was big, and she couldn't have a child. And I can just hear Penina saying, yeah, man, you, what kind of a wife are you? You can't even give your husband a son to carry on his name. And all of that, year after year, day after day, seeing her with his, her children and her husband interacting with them, and she has no children, and, and there is no interaction, and, and that longing for that, it was a constant thorn in her flesh. She had become a rival to Hannah, Penina had. Penina made her life miserable. The text says so, to the point that drove her to tears. So bullying isn't anything new, is it? It went on in Bible times. How do we deal with people who would mistreat us? How do we respond in a Christ-like fashion to those who devalue us? That's what I want to talk about tonight. I want to see if there are a couple points that we can gather from this Old Testament story that would maybe help give us some insight. Number one, it means we're not alone. This isn't a new phenomenon. The, the world has always been the world, and people have always been mean and ugly to other people. But how do I cope? Maybe you're one of those people who have had in the past to go through terrible ridicule. And it, and it made your self-esteem about this big. Maybe you're going through it right now. Does the Bible have anything to say to you? Does God have anything to say to you? Any word of encouragement? People can be vicious. They can be mean. Penina was to Hannah. And we may all have our Peninas, at least at some point in our life. We may have all faced our Peninas as well. So let's look at uh, some things, some practical points, tips that I'd like to share with you when you face people who challenge your value, who challenge your worth. Number one, if you, you know, want to write these down, deviating from God's plan, it never works. It's never a good idea. In the beginning, God created man and woman and he said, the two shall become one flesh. And it was a relationship that was to exist between a husband and a wife, not husband and wives. 
they've deviated from God's plan. And look at what happens. Well, is it of any surprise? Would you not even think, I mean, if you knew nothing about the Bible and you put a man and give him two wives, would you not think that jealousy would exist and competition and resentment? They're not doing it the way God said to do it. That's the problem, the root of the problem right here, is that they thought they knew a better way. Now, you know, sometimes people will say, well, why did God allow polygamy in the Old Testament? Why did this stuff happen? I mean, Abraham had more than one wife. Isaac had more than one wife. Uh, Jacob, you just go down through, and, and they did. But it was not God's ideal, but he tolerated it. Now, why would God tolerate certain things? I know that he did. Hosea chapter 13 and verse 11 says, um, God gave the children of Israel a king in his anger. He didn't want them to have a king. He was to be their king. But the people were clamoring, we've got to have a king. We want to be like the nations around us. You remember in 1 Samuel uh, uh, chapter 8, they rejected Eli and his son. We've got to have a king or Samuel and his sons, Samuel took it personally. God said, well, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. He didn't like it, but he gave it to them. Now, why would God do that? I don't know all the ins and outs of that. I have my opinions, and I guess that doesn't really matter a whole lot because they may be wrong. But suffice it to say, there was a time in God's dealings with man that he permitted things that were not his ideal. But now, I don't, he doesn't deal with us in that same fashion now. Uh, in Acts chapter 17, he says, in the times of this ignorance, verse 30, God winked at some things. He overlooked some things. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Acts 14 says, and it's just basically the same thing, he said, he let the nations walk in their own paths. Um, we can talk about sometime why maybe he did that, but suffice it to say he did. But when he did, did it work out for him? The kings didn't work out. They were the downfall of God's people. Multiple spouses, that didn't work out so well. Look at Abraham, what, what he had, Sarah, and then Sarah gave him her handmaid. And he had children with her. Can you not imagine the jealousy that must have burned within Sarah? And it spilled over as they had interactions when she saw Ishmael uh, giving Isaac a little bit of grief. And, and she wants this woman out of there. She doesn't want her anywhere around anymore. It's not the way God intended it. And, and there's that whole thing with Rachel and Leah and all the problems that came from that. Point is, sometimes we bring trouble upon ourselves, especially when we walk away from God's paths that he's laid out for us. That's the root of the problem here. And I'll tell you, sometimes we bring a lot on ourselves today. You know, we, we have a message on television that says... Premarital sex is okay. You know, everybody ought to be able to experience. Nobody ought to be able to tell anybody no. Uh, you ought to be able to find out things for yourself when you think you're mature enough and so forth. And all these messages that give permission and consent 
and make you feel like you're the only one that hasn't if you haven't? Do, when, you, when you, well, the wise man in the book of Proverbs says, when you, can you take fire to your chest and not be burned? If, if you pick up coals of fire and embrace them, you're going to get burned. And in the context, he's talking about adultery. He's talking about sexual immorality. There's a price to pay for that. And oftentimes people, what they think is fun, exciting, adventurous, it comes back to burn them. Um, same thing, you know, premarital, extramarital, whatever it is. When we decide to launch out, do our own thing, leave God's paths, we bring trouble on ourselves. That's the root of the problem. They weren't doing marriage the way God said to do it. Here's another thing. You, just an observation, you, you don't have to be a big muscular kid to be a bully. When, when I was in school, there was one boy, I still remember his name, he was, he had everybody cowering to him. Everybody was afraid of him because he was just mean. He would fight you. He'd beat you up. He, if you had books in your hand, he'd knock them out and kick them across the floor. No matter what it was, if there was something mean he could think of doing, he would do it to you. And he was big enough to, to keep people from fighting back. And he was our school bully. But you don't have to be some muscular bully to be a bully. We can be bullies to people. We can treat people with disrespect and unkindness. We can say words that cut people to the heart. You don't have to have muscles. All you have to have is a tongue to be this kind of person, to be someone's rival. I'll never forget a few years ago, there was a lady. We had a get-together of people at church, and there were several families together. And there was one family there who was having trouble with one of their sons. He had made some really bad choices. And there was another lady there who knew of the trouble that her son was having. And so in front of everybody, she asked a question that was intended to embarrass this mother. And that mother stammered and stumbled and didn't want to say too much. And it was a very awkward, uncomfortable moment. And, you know, you might think, well, maybe she didn't know what she was saying. Maybe she didn't do. The next day, I overheard this same lady laughing about how she made this woman stumble and stammer and be uncomfortable. What makes people do stuff like that? When I was in high school, there was a young man. He had a terrible home life. On, well, 6 o'clock on Saturday mornings, he would be dropped off at, our house because my dad was the preacher and the mother figured, well, he can take care of him. She might be back home by 10 o'clock that night. The boy just lived with us basically and his little sister. When he was in high school, his father played a little bit of major league baseball and he sent him, he didn't live with his father, but the father sent him a glove and uh, man, he treasured that glove. It was the most important thing to him. And this guy in the locker room one day came up and took that glove physically from him, threw it in a toilet, and, and flushed the toilet, and the glove was just soaked. 
why do people do stuff like that? What, what, what causes that kind of behavior? Well, again, roots, they don't have Jesus living in them. They're not influenced by Jesus. Listen, don't be that person. Oh, we're not going to go do some physical thing like that, but we may have the ability to hurt people with our tongues, to backbite, to talk about them, to embarrass them, to set them up in an awkward situation. Ephesians 5 and verse 32 says this, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven me. Be kind, tenderhearted. If we do that, we won't say the mean things. We, we won't have rivals. We won't buy up or take advantage of opportunities when a person's vulnerable to really just dig them and, and nail them to the, to the wall. We won't be a part of that because Jesus is living in us. People are mean because of envy. Oftentimes it's because they see them having something they don't have and they're jealous and they're trying to pull them down to their level. And, you know, the Bible talks about envy in a host of places. But Proverbs 14 and verse 30 says, where there's envy, there's confusion everywhere. People who are envious just make a mess. That's why people act awful to other people because they're envious. Sometimes it's just vengeance. You know, my dog got ran over a few years ago, one of our dogs, and it broke the back leg as it was the car had left. And, and I reached down to pick it up. And when I did, that my dog bit me. Why did it bite me? Because it was in pain. And that whole process of getting her fixed and everything, it just brought to mind this thought, hurt People hurt people. That's the way it works. When you're hurting, you hurt other people. Um, and that's why some people do the things. In fact, those who end up trying to hurt us and those who say those things and take those digs at us, you know what? They need our sympathy. They need our prayers. They don't need our retaliation because they've got some things going on in their life that aren't so good. Hurt people hurt people. Uh, Sometimes um, they just don't consider the value of another person. In in Romans chapter 14 and 15, man, it's it's a beautiful passage about tolerance and acceptance. In fact, he, he predicates, he says, listen, you guys need to start being kind to each other and, and accepting one another and stop drawing lines where God didn't draw any lines. And then he says this, Jesus died for that person that you're having trouble getting along with. Really? You can't forego some of your, some of your rights to get along with people that Jesus loved enough that he would die for them? How's that going to work in the day of judgment when you go up to the Lord and say, oh, I couldn't stand this person and this person, and they really gave me grief, and so I gave it right back to them. And, and it's that same Jesus that you're talking to who laid his life down for that person. That won't fly well. Because whereas you may not love that person like you should, Jesus does. And so the lack of valuing people is part of the problem. And, and this, too, 
Our worth is not wrapped up in things. It's not wrapped up in what people say about us. It's not wrapped up in what we look like. It's not wrapped up in how we talk. It's not wrapped up in the things we do, in the clothes we wear, in the places we go, in the work that I do for a living. My worth is wrapped up in God. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image. That right there means you are worth much. Don't let anybody tell you you're not worth anything. Don't let anybody make you feel like you have no place on this planet, that you're not productive, that you have no value. Of course you do, because God made you in His image. That's the mistake. And we may say, well, you know, (laughs) the reason I take such grief is because you don't know the things I've done. Man, I have made a boatload of mistakes, and and I have done foolish things, and I've got all this, and man, I'm just... It doesn't change your value. What you do cannot change who you are, your value. And I meant to bring some money, and I forgot to do that too, but I was going to bring in a $100 bill that I... Maybe Kay would have loaned me one, but... uh, uh, But, uh, you know, if I had a $100 bill crisp right from the bank, would you want that if I offered it to you? Of course you would. What if I took that $100 bill and just went like that with it? Now, would you want it? Of course you would. What if, and I heard a kid over here say yes, I think, yeah. And what if I took that and I threw it on the floor and I put my foot and just did like that to it? Would you still want it? Of course you would. No matter how dirty it gets, no matter how wrinkly and crumpled it is, it still is worth $100. Same thing is true with our lives. We are made in the image of God. We are an eternal soul. And you may have made some horrendous mistakes in your past that people dog you about. But listen, don't let them think or don't let them make you think that you're not a value. You are as much a value to God as you were before you ever made a mistake. You're a value because you're a person. And, and we need to understand that our value is not wrapped up and it doesn't hinge on what other people say about us. We all have trials in life. It's nothing new. Hannah had her penina and she was a rival to her. She made her life miserable to the point that she just broke down in tears. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever had somebody dogging you like that? Take heart that God hears you, that he loves you, that your value isn't determined by what people say about you. Your value is wrapped up in your relationship to God. And rather than despair, let's live our lives usefully. Rather than seeing ourselves as people may see us, Let's learn to see ourselves as God sees us. At the end of the day, no matter who you are or what you've done and how many mistakes you've made in the past, you are somebody that Jesus loved enough to go to the cross for. I'll tell you what, you can hang your hat on that. You can get through life on that. 
whatever you've done, it's not, un, you can fix it because of who you are in relationship to God. If you're here tonight, you're not yet a child of God, why don't you obey the gospel of Christ? Why don't you live in such a way, obey the Lord, the one who gave you value, and have that hope of eternal life? There are people whose lives here are just a succession of tragedies. They're a succession of mishaps. They're a succession of hurts. And it seems like they can't escape it. I mean, it just it hovers over them in their life. Have you known people like that? Man, if you're that person, wouldn't you long for heaven more when that will all be gone and all be done away with? The hurts and the unchristlike behavior in other people ought to cause us to lift our eyes to heaven. If you're having trouble, if you're having heartache, if sometimes you feel worthless, give your life to Jesus. He'll give you worth. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and you need to make your life right with God and renew your zeal to live for Him, we invite you to come also as we stand together and sing.